the the odd strange circumstances of his death just is really what's uh it's what really is the story here Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was a visionary rock and roller from West Texas, the self-styled king of El Paso rock who rocketed to the top of the charts in 1966, but his tragic and mysterious death prevented him from living up to his full potential. This week, we look at the mysterious death of Texas rock legend Bobby Fuller. But first, what's your favorite way to eat frijoles? Um, well, I generally like my beans inside a burrito. Uh, they can be refried, plain old pinto beans, sometimes black beans, but I like beans in a burrito. It's convenient that way. So Freebird style? Uh, usually, but uh, even at home, beans beans go in a burrito i guess my second favorite would be inside chili but some might consider that blasphemy so mm, maybe i shouldn't bring that up definitely consider no. that blasphemy not not competition well my great aunt used to make a big pot of beans and they were just to beat the band they were super delicious and uh, like pinto she, beans yep yep wow. just, yeah they were really good um and you could eat them with anything barbecue sausage barbecue Shrimp. Shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever put that uh, pepper juice is in those bottles on there? On the no beans? need. No need. There you go. Why ruin perfection? Uh, well, I can't eat them anymore uh, because I have some horrific digestive issues. Uh, but back in the day when I did eat beans, I would I love to eat them refried and with some melted cheddar cheese on top, sometimes a little bit of finely chopped onions. And usually on a plate next to enchiladas, which I also can't eat anymore. So my stomach makes me a terrible Texan. <laughs> well, your stomach is a terrible Texan, but yeah, my that doesn't mean you aren't. It's revolting. Doesn't mean you're a terrible Texan. Yeah, I would more say you were Texan with disabilities. There you go, stomach <laughs> disabilities. Yes, <laughs> I will say stomach defects. Digestively challenged. Yes, um, I, just... I will say that a close runner-up for my preferred form of beans is uh, the little cans of uh, beanie weenies. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, usually, yeah. usually in the camper at the Deer Lease. Poking beans. Well, what about uh, what about those cans of? Uh, they're not really refried beans; they're just like ground-up beans in the little cans, and you eat them with uh, Fritos. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> bean dip. <laughs> Yeah, the little bean dip cans. Yeah, I don't. It's not really bean dip. It's more like processed bean in a can. <laughs> you know what? All these are just making me very hungry right now. <laughs> uh, I guess, and then you can just end with, of course, everyone's favorite little song: "Beans, Beans, the Magical Fruit." Yes. Yeah. We'll stop there. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, this this wraps up another thrilling episode of the Bean Cast. <laughs> Bobby Fuller was born in Baytown, Texas, on October 22, 1942, but his family moved when he was a small child to Salt Lake City, where they lived until he turned 14 years old. His father got a job at El Paso Natural Gas in 1956, and the family moved back to Texas. That was the same year that Elvis Presley became popular, and Fuller's brother Randy said Bobby became mesmerized by the new rock and roll star. He became more than mesmerized. He was obsessed with music. 
and being in El Paso, he was exposed to both the American rock and roll that he could listen to on the local radio, as well as on the border blasters across the Rio Grande. But he could also take in the sounds of Western swing and the Norteño and cumbia rhythms of Teano music. Fuller learned to play guitar and other instruments, but it was the rise of another local Texan, Lubbock's Buddy Holly, that had the most profound influence on Fuller. He soon adopted a lot of Buddy Holly's style, forming a four-man combo with his brother Randy and covering Holly and Presley songs, as well as some original material. During the early 1960s, Fuller's constantly changing bands played in clubs and bars in El Paso, West Texas, and New Mexico, and they occasionally recorded on local labels in Texas. The only constant band members were Bobby and his brother Randy. Fuller quickly showed that he was more than just a singer and a guitar player. He was obsessed with sound. In 1961, he built his own studio in the den of his parents' home, recording initially on a Viking reel-to-reel tape deck before gradually acquiring better equipment. Randy said if it was the tape recorder that Bob Keane used to do La Bamba with, then he got it, and he would talk my mom and dad into buying it for him. The brothers built their own control booth and even a primitive echo chamber in the backyard, and Fuller started two labels, Eastwood and Exeter, to release his music. He was inspired by what he'd seen and heard at surf music pioneer Dick Dale's Rendezvous Ballroom on a trip to California, so he opened his own teen club in El Paso, which he called The Rendezvous. His group, then known as The Fanatics, were the house band. Again, Randy said, It was a sight to behold, playing surf music in El Paso at our teen club. The quality of the recordings, using a couple of microphones and a mixing board purchased from a local radio station, was so impressive that he offered the use of his studio to local acts for free so he could hone his production skills. Within a few years, Bobby was a local sensation, becoming the self-styled rock and roll king of El Paso. England has the Beatles, but El Paso has Bobby, the El Paso Herald Post crowed in September 1964. The Fullers experienced Beatles-style teen adulation at local events. An appearance at a local shopping center drew 6,000 screaming in an appearance at a local shopping center drew 6,000 screaming and cheering boys and girls, the paper noted. Quote, it was like something was about to happen and you knew it, Randy said. In many ways, Bobby was ahead of his time. Randy recalled that his brother liked to say that the Beatles would never be able to do Buddy Holly like Buddy Holly because they're not from Texas. They didn't have the cadence or the swing to tap into a rich vein of regional music that had influenced Holly, Valens, Eddie Cochran, and yes... Even Bobby Fuller. Of course, Fuller couldn't help but outgrow El Paso. In 1964, he moved to Los Angeles with his band, the Bobby Fuller Four, and they were signed to Mustang Records by producer Bob King, who, as we noted before, was well known for discovering Richie Valens. Mustang Records by this time was noted for being a major producer of surf rock, but Fuller, while influenced by those bands, as well as the big sound vocal groups like the Everly Brothers, had a wholly different sound. At a time when the British invasion and folk rock were the dominant genres, Fuller stuck to Buddy Holly's style of classic rock and roll with Tex-Mex flourishes. The band's earliest recordings with Mustang were mostly covers, but his originals also started to be recorded. His first top 40 hit, though not on the Billboard Hot 100, was the song Letter Dance, which he'd recorded before in El Paso. It was the second hit that was the big one. I Fought the Law had been a little heard B-side on a single released by the post-Buddy Holly Crickets back in 1960. Fuller gave the song a manic energy and propulsive rhythm that characterized the band's live performances. 
An appearance on popular TV shows Hullabaloo and Chivalry further propelled the song. It peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 on March 12th through 19th, 1966, quickly spawning a third top 40 single. It's one cover of Buddy Holly's Love's Made a Fool of You. Much like the movie That Thing You Do, the rapid rise in popularity of the band caused things to go south very quickly between Fuller and the label. Keane's attempts to mold Fuller into a Valen-style star alienated the rest of the band, and Fuller himself became dissatisfied with the direction that Keane was pushing the group, and with a punishing touring schedule that kept them out of the studio. Although known to eschew gimmicks and overdubs in favor of producing recordings that could be recreated on stage, it was gimmicks that would ultimately stifle Fuller's career. Keen came up with a succession of dumb marketing ideas for the group. They released a single as The Shindigs in order to secure a slot on the music TV show Shindig. They also had a drag racing themed debut long play, which is an album, for those of you who don't know what that is. And they branded it with the name of the Los Angeles radio station KRLA. But the ultimate insult, which is pretty cannily recreated in the movie That Thing You Do, was a cameo for the band in the Nancy Sinatra Boris Karloff beach party movie, The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini, a goofy beach party movie which starred Boris Karloff. The band mimed backing up Nancy on the song Geronimo, and they continued to play during the pool party scene. Wow. I could just see that happening. (laughs) I'm in a movie called The Ghost in the Bikini. Thanks, goofball. Now, sadly, we're Captain Guchin. Now, sadly, um, you would think that things couldn't get worse than that, but uh, they did get worse for Bobby Fuller from there. On the afternoon of July 18th, 1966, just four months after I Fought the Law peaked on the charts, Fuller was found dead by his mother at her L.A. apartment. He was found inside her blue Oldsmobile. Initial reports pointed to suicide. The L.A. Times reported, Musician Robert Fuller, 23, was found dead on the parking lot at his Hollywood apartment house with a plastic hose in his hands leading to a gasoline can. That's how the police saw it, too, closing the case without even brushing for fingerprints or doing any interviews. However, the details tell a different story. The car had not been in the lot for more than 30 minutes before his mother found it. Yet Fuller's body was in an advanced state of rigor mortis, suggesting that he had died elsewhere. He also had multiple bruises on his arms and face, but these were ruled hemorrhages that were caused by gasoline vapors or summer heat in a car that had only been parked for 30 minutes. While the officials in Los Angeles County didn't seem to consider it a priority issue, most of his friends and fans believed that suicide, either intentional or accidental, is impossible. Who would pour gas on himself in a hot car, Randy told the El Paso Times in 1998. I think he'd just gotten a bad situation that night, met the wrong dude, and couldn't get out of it. I'm 99.9% sure that it wasn't an accident or a suicide. Various theories have been advanced about Fuller's death, with most being wildly implausible. A bad LSD trip. He was knocked off by the Manson family. He was messing around with the girlfriend of a a mob-connected Los Angeles nightclub owner. Some theories implicate Keen. <clears throat> now, some theories implicate Keen, as Fuller was the third artist under his charge after Valens and Sam Cooke to die young while under his contract. Randy believed that Keen was actually indirectly connected. In his book, I Fought the Law, The Life and Strange Death of Bobby Fuller, 
Randy presents the theory that Keene's business partner, Morse Levy, who owned Roulette Records, had well-known connections to the mob, and he ran his music business with those same general practices. Randy believes that Bobby was pressured through Keene to let Roulette artists and songwriters piggyback on his success, and Bobby tried to back out of the deal. Levy had also recently taken out a large life insurance policy on Fuller. Randy believes that Bobby was beaten to death and that the killer was interrupted somehow in the process of trying to torch the car. Sadly, the truth will probably never be known. Fuller was buried at the famous Forest Lawn Memorial Cemetery in L.A. Randy and the rest of the band tried to carry on as a group and would continue in the music industry for many years. Randy said he felt like his brother was on the verge of giving up performing to return to El Paso and resume his role as a producer at his own studio. Believing that his obsession with sound would have led him to being seen as a visionary like a Phil Spector or Brian Wilson. I Fought the Law itself, despite being a cricket song, has become one of the archetypal outlaw rock and roll anthems. Fuller's version, with its intense frenetic energy, popularized the song and drew generations of punks and rockers to it. To date, the song has been covered more than 50 times by the likes of Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, Stray Cats, Green Day, and most famously, The Clash. And they probably get it closest to Bobby Fuller's version in energy and tone, at least. Other songs by Fuller have been used in soundtracks, including Letter Dance, which was used in the ending of fellow Texan Wes Anderson's The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Over the past 50 years, much of Bobby Fuller's recorded catalog is available through re-releases and compilations, and today are an important record of early Texas garage rock and independent recording. Very cool. I mean, everybody knows that song, and that's a great yeah. oh, song. Oh, I Fought the Law? Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. fantastic song. <clears throat> well, I, uh, I I guess I'd never really known, I'm most familiar, I guess, with the, uh, um, with the Clash version, obviously, but... Uh, I had obviously heard I Fought the Law from, you know, the 60s. But uh, the song that really captured me was Let Her Dance. Um, it's on uh, one of the Texas uh, Texas Music Volume. It's on Texas Music Volume 3, which is a compilation from the early 90s. And this one's about garage rock in Texas. And it's the second song after our good friend Roy Head's um, Treat Her Right. Um, but it it does have this fantastic energy to it and and... It also has a just a really deep, rich sound, which is amazing because it was recorded in in you know an echo chamber in his parents' backyard. But his his studio stuff in L.A. Had, it was moving towards that that wall of sound, uh, uh, the obsessive detail that Brian Wilson and that Bill Spector had for the music. And I think I think uh, Randy's right. He really he really probably would have moved into becoming just a, a great producer of music, but. The, the odd, strange circumstances of his death just is really what's, uh, it's what really is the story here. You know, yet another Texas artist cut down in his prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we uh, I think, as uh, DIY podcasters can definitely identify with the whole uh, cobbling things together in, in the den sort of aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know... It, just the idea that, uh, and you know, believers in the idea that great things can come out of uh, meager circumstances. So um, it's inspiring to to see that in history. Yeah, and and so this last week uh, after I wrote this episode, I sat down and watched that thing you do. Uh, which, if you've never seen that thing you do, 
is an amazing, amazing movie um, about this time period in rock and roll. It's very, it's directed by Tom Hanks, and uh, go go check it out. But the scene, uh, the scene in the the beach party movie, where where they get they go and and uh, perform, quote unquote, perform, they lip sync, uh, in not even playing their own right correct instruments, uh, is great. And the uh, the main, you know, the the singer, this brooding artist singer, uh, Jimmy, who's staring daggers at everybody during that scene. It just made me think when I read about, you know, appearing with Boris Karloff and Nancy Sinatra on a beach party movie for, for Bobby Fuller, I'm sure that's probably what he was feeling like. Like, I can't believe I've got to do this, this garbage. Um, and I'd love to find that movie because I think that movie would be really interesting to watch. You know, the thing is that you have these talented people that sort of showed up in music at this time, very inventive and had all this potential and, then you just you had a sort of a corporate machine that was trying to glom on to the next teen hit and you know stick them in a box and kind of put them out there and commercialize it and we saw the same yeah. thing when we did our Texas rock question mark mm-hmm. part two when we talked about uh, Paul and Paula kind of reminds me of that yeah. too of yeah they wrote this hit and they just sort of came out of nowhere and then they will put them on a bus and we'll just tour them around and then yeah. well, I'm quitting and so okay yeah. well we'll just let Dick Clark sing your part. Let's keep the yeah. show going. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna strap a rocket to your back. This song was was uh, became popular right around the same same time as uh, Sir Douglas Quintet's "She's About to Move Her," um, which is another great Texas song from the mid '60s. Um, I found it interesting that that the we think back on that time and we think about the, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, or maybe we think about Bob Dylan, you know, performing in, in Greenwich Village. And like that's really you know you know mid nineteen sixty five sixty six that's really locked in our brains, but there was there was other sounds coming out of American music scene, especially out of the regional music scenes, that were just as good as the Beatles in a lot of ways. I'm not saying they're better than the Beatles, but I'm saying there there are songs that are just as good as what the Beatles were doing at that time, and so it's like. They weren't. Everybody wasn't just looking for the next Beatles. They were looking for the next sound, and that was that was really what struck me about, you know, I fought the law and and uh, let her dance. Same thing with she's about a mover. Yeah. So that's the thing that becomes really exciting. Is is like, hey, I absolutely love the idea of Texas musicians and these sort of inspirational stories, and these people are becoming. You know, and it's just such a shame when you hear this whole story of like the mysterious yeah. circumstances of his death and he was cut down in his prime and just might have been on the verge of something great. Yeah. And another thing is, you know, once again, to circle back to this talent, this time, uh, the another movie, another song that came out in 1965, 66 was Wooly Bully by Sam Sham and the Pharaohs. And, and Sir Douglas Quintet, Sam Sham. Um, Bobby Fuller Ford, they all were influenced by the music of where they grew up or where they lived. They were all influenced uh, by the Tejano, uh, Norteño and Cumbia music, that that percussive rhythm of of German influenced and German and Czech influenced Hispanic music that made their way back into surf and British rock sounds to make these songs. And I think that's really the strength of of a Texas upbringing, a Texas uh, background for these artists, and that makes these songs still work today is their melting pot songs. They're songs that 
bring in the full experience of being Texan and being American. So I, I can't speak highly enough. You know, learning more about is more than just a couple of guys with some guitars playing surf music or playing crazy songs or playing Beatles songs, you know, like songs. It's I'm going to take the music that I hear around me and I'm going to make something new and special out of it. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, hey, as a young Texas artist, you know, uh, Buddy Holly is a great uh, person to set as your uh, mentor and example, right? Yeah. And a little special bonus, uh, stay tuned after the credits and uh, listen to some Bobby Fuller music. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas rock and roll music. So tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it-Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Dancing with me